Listen to me, O coastlands. Pay attention, you peoples from far away. The Lord called me before I was born. While I was in my mother's womb, he named me. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to be here with us in this place this morning, and we trust that you are here. May my words now be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. This morning, I'm going to tell you a tale of two servants, one who is faithful and one who is unfaithful. But of course, fundamentally, it's going to be a story about Jesus and how he is good news, even and perhaps especially for unfaithful servants, people like you and me. But first, I want to tell you a story about archery. I actually have kind of a long history with archery. I've always liked archery, something that was probably kindled in me as it was for every non-hunting American, which is by watching Robin Hood. Uh, Later, I was a Boy Scout and successfully got my archery merit badge. A childhood neighbor even had an early computer game that had to do with the Summer Olympics, and I spent a good chunk of time playing the archery component of this game, which This is going to sound crazy to the children in the congregation this morning, but as I remember it, it was a stationary target in the center of the screen and a bullseye that would sort of wander randomly around, and you had to hover over the space bar, and when it lined up, immediately you would hit the space bar, and that would shoot the arrow into the target. This was fun when I was a kid. Um, I even, and I remember this as clear as day, had an archery unit in my junior high school gym class. So by the time I got to an age where during summers after high school and college, I was a counselor at a Christian sports camp, actually teaching archery to others, it was firmly within my skill set. I no longer had to worry about that awful forearm scrape that you get from the string if you don't know what you're doing. I could regularly make the arrow go where I wanted it to go, and it helped, of course, that I was relatively big, relatively strong, and it also helped for you hunters out there, that I never shot at anything more mobile than a bale of hay. (laughs) Now, one thing sticks out in my mind, though, about trying to teach archery to little kids at this Christian sports camp, and it's the frustration that it caused in these kids. Because all the kids had seen Robin Hood, too, and so they figured that archery was easy. And when it turned out that it wasn't, that the arrows they tried to shoot shot off their bow in every direction, or the classic terrible forearm scrape from the string and the arrow just drops straight to the ground at your feet. When, when failure reared its ugly head, the same thing always happened, regular as clockwork. The tension and frustration would mount and mount. I could see it in their little faces, and eventually the bow would get thrown to the ground An arrow would be snatched up, they would storm up to the bale of hay and hurl the arrow with all their strength from a range of about six inches at the target. And of course, every time, 
regular as clockwork, the arrow would bounce impotently off the target and fall harmlessly to the ground. Because what the kids didn't know is that you need the power provided by the bow and the well-trained archer to stick the arrow in the target. Isaiah opens what's called his second servant song at the beginning of chapter 49. Listen to me, O coastlands, he writes. Pay attention, you peoples from far away. The Lord called me before I was born. While I was in my mother's womb, he named me. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Now we'll come back to the servant songs in a minute. There are four of them. But the question I want us to focus on this morning, the question that's going to get us to the good news of the gospel is, who is the singer of this song? If we're going to understand this text from Isaiah 49, we need to know who this person is. Listen to me. The Lord called me. He made me like a sharp sword, made me a polished arrow. Now, you might think that verse 3 is a dead giveaway. And he said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Clearly, then the singer must be Israel, right? Well, it is and it isn't. And what we'll see with a little biblical investigation, is that this singer is the new Israel, Jesus Christ. He is the servant of this servant song. And not just any servant. We're going to see that he is the faithful servant. And that his faithfulness will be good news to unfaithful servants. Like you and me. And in his coming to the world, to the weak and sinful, as a redeemer, he raises unfaithful servants to new life in his name. And providentially this morning, this good news is particularly appropriate and beautifully illustrated in baptism. So the first step in understanding what's going on in Isaiah 49, I think, is to go back to Isaiah 48. Remember one of our principles We use the Bible to interpret the Bible. And in chapter 48, we find God telling the nation Israel that he wishes they had been obedient to him. I am the Lord your God, he says, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river. And your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your offspring would have been like the sand. And your descendants like its grains. Their name would never be cut off or destroyed from before me. But Israel didn't pay attention, did they? And so they didn't get peace or righteousness. They were indeed cut off and destroyed, judged, conquered, carried off into captivity. That's the occasion for the prophecy. And for God's lament, oh, how I wish that you had paid attention to my commandments, says the Lord. Then all these things 
would have happened for you. Then your peace would have been like a river. Then your righteousness like waves of the sea. Then your offsprings would have been like sand. Your descendants like grains. Then their name would never have been cut off or destroyed from before me. But you didn't listen. You didn't obey. I sent you the law, and then I sent you prophet after prophet to call you back to speak the truth to you about your lives, and you just kept right on, chasing after other gods, forgetting my commandments, being just like the surrounding pagan nations. Israel, national Israel, has been an unfaithful servant. This is the story of the whole Old Testament. Israel is chosen by God and given the law, but then utterly fails to be the obedient nation that they are called to be. One of the very first and probably archetypal examples of this is Abraham and Sarah deciding that since they doubt God is really capable of doing the thing that he said, giving them a son in his good time, they're going to take matters into their own hands and have a child by the servant Hagar. And it just goes downhill from there. The same kind of thing. People deciding that they know best and working for their own self-justification. The same kind of thing happens again and again and again. But all of those efforts failed. They all fell short of God's calling. They were all like those kids trying to throw an arrow into the target by their own power. They didn't have the power of a good archer behind them, and so they fell impotently to the ground. That's why the prophets are sent, trying desperately to call the people back from their unfaithfulness, to repentance and a renewed relationship with God, to remind them, in the imagery of Isaiah 49, that they are not archers, but arrows. That they need to be used by the archer, not try to take things into their own hands. But the people don't repent. They keep right on trying to do things for themselves and in their own way, and they are eventually judged, conquered, carried off into exile. What a juxtaposition then with our reading this morning from Isaiah 49. Listen to me, O coastlands. Pay attention, you people from far away. The Lord called me before I was born. While I was, on my, while I was in my mother's womb, he named me. My mouth is a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Now, knowing the background of the people's unfaithfulness and judgment, we see that that word Israel there in verse 3 needs to be considered in a special way. It doesn't seem like it can be the same Israel from chapter 48. Those unfaithful servants... They haven't made their, had their mouths made like sharp swords. They aren't like polished arrows. God hasn't been glorified in them. And this Israel isn't that Israel. Israel in chapter 49 
Isaiah in chapter 49 is not talking about that same old unfaithful Israel who had God commandments but refused to follow them. He's not referring to an unfaithful servant at all. No, now he is referring to a faithful servant, a new Israel. This is Jesus Christ, the righteous. This text in Isaiah 49, this servant song, is about Jesus. Because remember, the whole Old Testament, the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus. Where the people Israel was an unfaithful servant, the new Israel, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is faithful. I told you that there were four servant songs in Isaiah. This is the second one. The first one is in chapter 42, verses 1 through 4. The third one is in chapter 50, verses 4 through 9. And the fourth and final one covers the second half of chapter 52 and the first half of chapter 53. The fourth one is the one that you'll most likely be familiar with. And it's the one that will show us beyond a shadow of a doubt who this servant is. Here's Isaiah describing this same faithful servant in the servant song of Isaiah 53. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Jesus was righteous when Israel wasn't. Jesus was upright when Israel wasn't. Jesus was faithful when Israel wasn't. Where Israel, like Abraham, constantly exerted its own will, Jesus understood that having humbled himself and become incarnate man, standing in the place of Israel, His will must be subjected to his father's will. Not my will, he prayed in that last peaceful moment in the garden. But yours be done. It is the essence, the definition of human sinfulness to try to take for ourselves what ought to be God's. Israel was simply living out the drama that humans have been enacting since Adam and Eve ate the fruit, seeking to decide right from wrong for ourselves. And we have been doing it ever since. This is our story, all of humanity, down to the present day, down to you, down to me. Like them, we are unfaithful servants. 
We do not do the things we ought to do and are constantly doing the things we ought not to do. We think we know what's best. To use the imagery of Isaiah, we imagine that we are arrows in a quiver, but like Adam and Eve and Abraham and Sarah before us, we want to justify ourselves. But an arrow can't do any good if it's determined to jump out of the quiver, somehow wriggle away from the control of the archer, hop up to the target, and try to hit it itself. It just bounces harmlessly off. Just like those arrows thrown by those kids back at that camp. But the arrow, on its own, exerting its own will, has no power at all. Now, though, imagine an arrow in the hands of a skilled archer. This is good news. The arrow needs do nothing but remain in the form in which the archer made it. It is the archer who sharpens the arrow and the archer who hides it away in the quiver. It is the archer who takes the arrow out and the archer who puts it on the string. It is the archer who uses his strength to pull the arrow back and the archer who aims. And finally, it is the archer who decides when to release the arrow. And only then will the arrow hit the target and stick in it. The arrow needs the strength and wisdom of the archer to accomplish its purpose. So it is with you. So it is with me. When Jesus knelt in that garden and submitted himself to the Father, not my will, but yours be done, he began walking toward that moment at which all of his perfect submission, all of his perfection, all of his righteous sonship, all of his faithful servanthood would, on the cross, be transferred to us. Our unfaithfulness given to him, his faithfulness given to us. This is the life into which we will inaugurate these children this morning. This is why baptism is such a beautiful illustration of the good news. We are not telling them that as arrows, they must now go and find a target to hit and the strength to make it stick. No. We are celebrating their adoption into Christ's faithfulness, into his submission, into his knowledge that God must be the archer. We are rejoicing that Almighty God will use them for his purposes. The reason, in fact, that we can welcome them so young is that we know that it is God who is doing everything. He made them. He called them. He will shape them. He will use them. He will be glorified in them. Almighty God brought you here this morning, just like he brought these children. It is he who takes action in your life. He began this action before the foundation of the world and brought it to completion on a criminal's cross and then through an empty garden tomb. God's desire is to save you by Christ's sacrifice. So what is our word to these children about to be baptized this morning? 
and our word to you. You as individuals and you as the church who are about to promise to do all in your power to support these persons in their new lives in Christ. It is the word that addresses us all as Christians. What does the arrow do? It remains in the quiver ready for use. We submit ourselves to God's purpose. We reaffirm our faith. We pray for our wills to be aligned to God's. We ask God to form us, shape us, sharpen us, make us arrows that will fly true. We go to the scriptures to find his calling. And when we find ourselves hopping toward our own targets, we repent and ask God to take us up again. We come to the Lord again and again in worship, in confession, and in praise and thanksgiving, saying, make me ever more yours. Use me to accomplish your purpose. And he has promised to do just that. It is his pleasure to conform us to the image of his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the faithful servant. This is the promise of a God who called you on account of Christ before you were born, who named you on account of Christ while you were in your mother's womb. This is the promise of a God who, on account of Christ, took your sins to the cross and was raised for your justification. This is the promise of a God who, on account of Christ, has decided to glorify himself by saving you. This is God's promise for you today. Amen.